Hello guys, welcome to your Exhilarating Life Podcast. My name is Carmel, I'm your host and your therapist. And it's been a while since we've had an episode. There's been a lot going on. I've taken on some new roles over these past few months. So some of my priorities shifted. And so now it's time to jump back, jump back into things. And so this is a good time to talk about mental health in the workplace. A lot of people are returning to work after a summer vacation and people are sending their children back off to school and such. And so this is the time when people are starting to uh, experience some difficulty with regards to their mental health, being at work, being away from home, especially right now. I've had a lot of clients in the recent past that have been required to return to the office after a extended period of time of working from home and people aren't doing that well with it. Now, of course, there are some people that are very happy to return to the office and they are looking forward to that face-to-face and in-house connection, whereas others are struggling with it and aren't looking forward to it as much as others. So there's been a lot going on with that, just nationwide. And I really want to talk today, just starting out with being aware of our mental health crises, being aware of when preservation of life or CPR is needed in our mental health, you know, One of the things that has been required on most jobs that I've had in the past was CPR certification, CPR and first aid. And during those courses, and sometimes those courses would last all day long, at the very least a half of a day, depending on uh, what you were taking, if you were doing CPR and first aid, or if you were just doing one or the other and such. But it was required. When I worked in an inpatient facility, we were required to complete that as part of our annual training. It was mandatory. Also, some of you know I used to own a fitness and wellness center, and I held a personal training certification through the National Academy of Sports Medicine. And they too required me to maintain a CPR certification. And, uh, That is something that we have to do when we're working with people on the job. Why is that a requirement? It's a requirement to preserve life. As an employee working inside of a hospital or a clinic or some type of residential facility where a cardiac event could take place or respiratory failure could occur or obstruction of an airway, such as choking, or some type of life-threatening medical event could occur, we are required as a society to be familiar with how to preserve life in those circumstances. The same is true, once again, if you are doing fitness-related 
uh, personal training related types of jobs. Being aware that a person could experience a cardiac event or some other medical crisis while engaging in physical activity. And then just being aware of the common indicators that such an event is occurring or even the risk that this is going to happen or could possibly happen. Uh, Or maybe just the risk has increased for some reason. Maybe there's elevated blood pressure or there's medication that a person is taking. And also being aware of whatever protocol is necessary for such an event. It's critical and it's mandatory in those settings that we are aware of those things. Out of my 23-year career, I've never had to use CPR. As the risk isn't very high or likely, it's just possible. Let's take a quick break before we dive in deeper. All right, we're back from that very brief break. And like I said, just before the break, out of my 23-year career, I've never had to use the CPR training that I was required to have every year. And that's okay. You want to be prepared rather than not. But based on the statistics surrounding disorders like depression and anxiety and things like suicide and just mental health events in general, I think it's safe to say that we're more likely to experience a mental health event or crisis while at work than we are a medical crisis such as choking and cardiac arrest and fainting and things like that. The things that we learn about or learn how to respond to in our CPR trainings. Now, of course, cardiac events do occur and they occur very frequently. Heart disease is very common. Most people don't know that they are at risk for heart attack or that they have heart disease. Uh, Usually we don't get our hearts and our brains and livers and, and our kidneys checked unless there's a sign of disease. You know, there are certain tests that we have to get annually or by a certain age, prostate exams, uh, mammograms, pap smears, and colonoscopies and such. But I think it's safe to say that a mental health event is more likely to occur at work than a lot of medical events. Just based on the statistics of mental illness alone. And so each year, Nearly 800,000 people die from suicide. That's not that far from a million people. And of course, this doesn't include people that die and there's maybe suspected suicide, but it's not confirmed. So that number is probably even higher than that. Not to mention sometimes due to stigma, families choose not to reveal that that's why or how their loved one died. So 800,000 
from suicide annually in our country compared to 4,000 choking deaths. And to add to that, most choking-related deaths occur in children under the age of two and adults over the age of 75. And the last time I checked, most of us aren't working around toddlers or retirees unless we work in a child care center, a nursing home, or a retirement community. So why are we not required to be trained in preserving life in this manner as it relates to mental health crises and suicide prevention? I've gone out to a lot of facilities over the past several years since starting my private practice, and I've had many more employees take their own life in one way or another, whether it was long-term alcohol abuse, and so there was maybe a uh, some alcohol-related health problems, and uh, or a suicide, drinking and driving, things like that then I have responded to an obstruction of the airway. Now, am I saying that obstruction of the airway doesn't occur? No, I'm saying that out of the hundreds of employers that I've gone out to when there's been an employee death to provide on-site support for the employees, the managers, and just the employer overall, I've had many more people die from things like this than something that I would learn to prevent or preserve life in regarding uh, CPR and first aid. So we do need that mental health CPR. We need that mental health first aid. We can see a person choking as we know the classic signs. They show us the diagram, the picture of the person holding their neck and their faces changing colors. We learn that time is critical, but why not mental health? We're back from our break. And just before the break, I stated that we can see a person choking and we know the classic signs. That's what we're trained to observe in those CPR and first aid classes. They show us a picture of an individual holding their neck. Typically, both hands are wrapped around their neck. There's a changing of color of the face and things like that. And, of course, they teach us how to go behind a person, do the Heimlich maneuver to help that person remove whatever the obstruction is. But, like I said, why not mental health? We learn what to do if a person even loses consciousness while we're trying to help them remove the obstruction if they're choking. They tell us to lay them down and and all those things to prevent them from falling. Why are we not preventing 
the falling when it comes to a mental health crisis. That falling could be just as fatal as the choking event. They tell us that time is of the essence when someone's losing air, they're not getting oxygen when they're choking. Isn't the same true when it comes to a mental health crisis? That time is critical. It's important that intervention occurs, that support occurs in a timely fashion to help preserve life, but we don't treat it as such. Unfortunately, we can't see a person having or experiencing a mental health crisis all of the time. In fact, most of the time, a person can show up at work on Friday and never return back on Monday, ever, for another day. They never make it back to work because of a mental health crisis or event, such as suicide. I'm telling you it happens because I have responded to multiple organizations in which this very thing has occurred and no one at work suspected that their colleague was considering suicide. And we have to remember, everyone that dies by suicide isn't just sitting around thinking about taking their life all the time. That's not how it works. Sometimes it's a lot more passive than that. And we won't get too much into that today. Today, we're just laying the foundation for this topic. We're not going too much into detail because we don't want the episodes to be excessively long. But we should have mandatory training on preservation of life for supervisors and managers on the job, for support staff and other employees. And we should learn how to administer mental health CPR, Heimlich Maneuver, first aid. Employees need to know how to prevent or at least how to reduce the risk of a mental health event at work for themselves and for the people around them, just as we do for other events, such as a cardiac event or choking, as we've mentioned multiple times today. When does your colleague potentially need someone to help them with an obstruction to their mental health? How do we know when we're lacking oxygen ourselves and we need to put on our own mask, as they say on the airplanes? So it's important for us to look at that. For you as an employee, you have to remember that sometimes a person that's struggling to manage their mental health or life might be very quiet and never mention anything about the suffering that they're experiencing. Or they may be the life of the party, which might be a way of coping for them. There is no specific look. Let's take a quick break.
right, we are back from our break. And just before the break, I mentioned that the coworker struggling with a potential mental health crisis may not look how we anticipate a person should look or would look when they are experiencing a mental health crisis. They may not behave the way you think they should behave. They may not talk or speak about the things that you think that they would. So it's important as a colleague or coworker that you not have any stereotypes about what someone struggling with mental illness, mental health, uh, or with suicide, uh, suicidal ideation might look like or what they might behave like. Like I said before the break, this could be the most quiet person in the office or the life of the party in the office or anything in between. It could be that person that's giving everybody gifts during the holidays. It could be that person that is leading all of the committees for the potlucks or for the holiday parties, for whatever might be going on at the office. It could also be that person that you see engaging in a significant amount of absenteeism. Very often in the workplace, we give people a hard time when they take a lot of time off of work. Sometimes absenteeism could be due to circumstances at work. Sometimes people are being bullied at work, and we've talked about that before. We'll talk more about that moving forward. Um, It could be stressful work circumstances. Uh, It could be that they're missing a lot of work because of things that are going on at home that they're having difficulty managing. Or it could be that they're experiencing a problem with mental health. We often talk horribly, like I said, about these people that uh, are never really uh, to having long periods of time without taking off of work. Not really considering what the contributing factors might be. Is it possible that that person's just barely making it every day? That they're barely making it out of bed, barely making it to work, and barely making it through their day? Is that possible? It absolutely is. The person that never misses work and actually loses boatloads of vacation time, personal time, sick time at the end of the year, that could also be the person experiencing a mental health crisis. That could be the person that might be thinking about taking their own life as well. You may see them stereotype them as this super loyal employee and that person might not be taking care of themselves. They might be using work as a means of escaping or avoiding trouble at home. They might be dealing with perfectionism and fears taking time off for self-care will be viewed as slacking, as unprofessional and things like that that particular employee might believe that it's necessary to be at work every day of the week, every week of the month, and every month of the year in order to even be viewed as a valuable employee. They may 
be dealing with feelings of inferiority. Um, They may be dealing with low self-esteem, confidence and such. Especially if maybe they see their colleagues as being more qualified or more intelligent or more favored by their colleagues and their bosses at work, or maybe they're more educated. Sometimes that causes a person to be there every day, 30 minutes early, last person leave, first one there. Don't assume or stereotype them any more than you stereotype the person that takes a day off of work every three or four weeks. Now, it's possible that neither of them means anything with regards to mental health, but I'm just wanting to give you some examples. Let's take a break. guys we're back and uh, just before the break I mentioned some of the things that might be indicators that someone at work is experiencing a mental health crisis that may require attention or some type of intervention or support and I used those examples specifically because Let's just be honest. It's human nature to stereotype people based on our previous experience or the experience of others. And we kind of fall into these stereotypes of what a good employee is, what a loyal employee is, and also what a employee that's not valuable looks like as well. And very often those Thoughts are true or they have some truth to them, but there are also times when that simply isn't the case. So I just want you guys to be mindful of that. And so we can't talk about things that might indicate you have a colleague that's experiencing difficulty uh, with mental health problems or they're suffering in some way mentally or emotionally without talking about yourself, numero uno. It's important that you remember that not only do you need to be mindful of when your colleagues or your employees, if you're a supervisor or manager, might be struggling in this area, it's important for you to not ignore it when you are as well because other people may not know what you're dealing with. So if you're having difficulty sleeping, if you're finding yourself ruminating quite frequently, if you're self-critical very often, you're feeling helpless or hopeless, or you struggle with thoughts that you're not good enough, you're inadequate, or you're facing some type of situation in your personal, financial, or professional life that you see as unmanageable or impossible to get out of. You feel like you're backed backed up against a wall, so to speak. 
and there's no way out, that you don't have any options. Those are things that very often contribute to a person thinking about possibly ending their life when they just don't believe they have any options. Like I said, your colleagues, they may not know that you're having marital problems, that you have a family member that's very sick, that you're facing a chronic or or terminal medical issue yourself, that you're facing foreclosure on your home or bankruptcy, or that you're living with fertility or family planning issues, or that your spouse had an affair, or worse yet, another affair, or that you, you carry or you're suffering from or trying to manage untreated trauma, or that some other personal or family professional financial crisis is going on. They may not know this, but you do. You know when you're going through these things. And those are signs. I want you to think of those things as the person standing up that's choking, holding their neck with two hands. And time is critical. I want you to start thinking about your mental health in that way. And my hope is that as a society, we will get there. Now, there's a lot to cover with this particular topic. So... I'm not going to go into all that needs to be covered because we'd be here for two or three hours. This is typically a half-day workshop for me. So if you're interested in a workshop or even a webinar, um, I can do that. I've facilitated multiple webinars for uh, companies in multiple states, and so that's always an option. But I want to give a few suggestions and or tips, some for managers and supervisors, some for you as someone's colleague, and also, of course, some for yourself. Let's take a quick break first. back from that very brief break and we're going to wrap this up for the sake of time and like I said earlier we will spend some more time talking about mental health in the workplace and I have facilitated multiple workshops webinars and such over the years regarding mental health in the workplace and like I said before the break if you or your agency Um, is interested, you can let me know and we can set that up for you. And so we're going to just kind of wrap this up until next episode. We will definitely talk more about mental health in the workplace and so much to cover that you just can't cover it all in one episode. And so managers, if you are a manager or supervisor, it's really important that you create a work environment in which your employees feel safe approaching you for support when they're suffering. Now, I'm not suggesting that you try to be their therapist or anything like that. That's what you have EAP for. You can refer them to your EAP 
uh, provider and such. You can give them that information. You know, they used to say, leave your personal problems at the door when you come to work. And this is a, a great concept. Unless whatever you're dealing with is haunting you at night when you're trying to sleep, haunting you during the day while you're at work. For example, if it's a, of a financial nature, you might be experiencing uh, phone calls throughout the day from debt collectors and, and such, maybe even threatening you with your livelihood and things that you own and value. They may not know that you're planning to attend a court hearing regarding your marriage or custody of your children. They may not know that you have a parent that's struggling with a serious illness and you're concerned about whether or not they're going to make it. It's easier said than done when it comes to leaving your personal problems at work or at home and not bringing them to work, leaving them at the door. It's not always possible. Certainly we should be trying to do that, but it would be a good idea to offer some services and resources and support to help employees learn what that might look like, leaving things at the door. And if they don't leave it at the door, how do they manage it throughout the day so that it doesn't interfere with uh, office morale or productivity and such. Now, it's important to remember that this employee or any employee may have used all of their sick time, vacation time, personal time, trying to leave things at home. And just maybe they've run out of time. And so... Maybe they don't have the skills to leave it at home without staying at home. So they may need some help. Colleagues, if you are a employee and you have colleagues, how are you treating your coworkers that may be using vacation time every month? How are you treating your coworkers that may not be keeping up with productivity as everyone else. Maybe everyone else is finishing their work sooner or earlier, or they're closing more deals, and you have a person that's kind of lagging behind everyone. Of course, there's so many other factors that have to be taken into consideration, because you certainly don't want to get in the habit of uh, not addressing people, not doing their work, and not showing up for work. All I'm saying is that there are some other circumstances that you might need to look at. How are you treating those people? Are you adding to the problem and treating them like they're not good enough while they're already dealing with failure and rejection and depression uh, or maybe something that's very heavy or a crisis of some sort? Maybe try asking them how they're doing or if they need help with anything rather than making underhanded comments about their attendance record, reminding them that self-care is important and that it's okay to take care of themselves while making sure that they know maybe even about a spa that you've used or maybe a time that you utilize your EAP benefits. So show some care and concern and interest in their well-being 
And I know some people say, oh, I don't come to work for that. Oh, that's not my problem. I understand that. But if you could see what I've seen with regards to employees after a colleague has taken their own life, most of them do feel some type of guilt or uh, they feel bad in some way that maybe they weren't a little more concerned or they didn't ask questions or that they weren't helpful at the very least that they just didn't take any time to be nice let's take a quick break We are back and wrapping things up here at your Exhilarating Life podcast. And once again, my name is Carmel. I'm your host. I'm also your therapist, licensed clinical professional counselor. And we're talking about workplace and mental health. And we'll be talking about this on an ongoing basis here and there because it's a very important topic. So just before the break, I mentioned just a few very brief tips for managers and supervisors and also colleagues or employees. And I want to wrap up with making sure that you also have a few tips for you. How are you paying attention to you? Like I said earlier, it's easy to address things with other people and to be nice to colleagues when they're struggling or suffering. Sometimes it's even easy. It depends on how much you like your colleagues, of of course. Sometimes it's easier to accommodate them and check on them and be supportive and be kind, even more so than it is for ourselves. So how kind are you being to you? Are you ignoring your warning signs? Are you pretending as though you're okay when you're not? Have you convinced yourself that you don't get to have a mental health crisis regardless of what's going on because you have a job? Regardless of what's going on, you have to try really hard to, of course, maintain uh, composure by learning healthy coping skills at work. But you don't have to be rigid and negligent of your own mental and emotional health just so that you can appear to be a good employee. It's great being a good employee, but it's even better being a healthy employee. So I want you to start thinking about whether or not you are a healthy employee or are you just a good employee? You might be a phenomenal employee but still not a healthy employee. Are you healthy? And how do you know? What are the indicators that you are a healthy employee? If you're experiencing a mental health crisis, are you trying to hide it? Are you pretending to be okay and allowing things to spiral out of control? Are you taking care of yourself? If you had an infected tooth and it felt maybe a little sore, maybe you had a little twinge here and there, or some slight pain, 
and you decided to use aspirin and Oragel rather than calling the dentist, typically what happens with that is it worsens. And eventually you're not able to go to work. You need oral surgery. And that slight pain is now excruciating pain. When you start to have chest pains, you go to the doctor immediately because you know the signs of a heart attack. Do you know the signs of an attack of the brain or an attack of the overall life? Because sometimes it's not a matter of a chemical or neurotransmitter issue. Sometimes it's a matter of life circumstances and the roles in your life conflicting, not being able to achieve balance, not having adequate coping skills. What are the signs that your life is at risk for a code red? When you're off of work, don't waste your time spinning your wheels. This is a time to actually address whatever you're dealing with. Sometimes that means financial planning, marriage counseling, seeing a therapist, going to your doctor, getting an adequate amount of rest, and engaging in self-care. Family problems and financial problems are two of the most common reasons adults struggle with managing their lives and their mental health. Of course, in these situations where these circumstances are occurring, there's a host of other contributing factors that we won't get into today. But collectively, those things can cause rapid deterioration in your overall quality of life. And sometimes that results in the need to preserve life, depending on how extensive that deterioration is. So I'm encouraging you to identify your personal warning signs and what you're doing about it. Are you addressing them when you're off work? Use your time off of work on the weekends. Use it well. I'm Carmel. That's all I have. I will see you guys next time. Take care.